Welcome to the Old Man Yells at Music podcast. A podcast where an oldish man talks at a measured volume about music. And now, your host, Roger Strip. Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the Old Man Yells at Music podcast. I'm Roger Stroop. First of all, thank you so much to those of you who took the time to listen to episode one. I've gotten a lot of positive feedback about it, and I'm very grateful. One thing I've heard quite a bit from people who know me is, I didn't know you had this in you. Well, apparently I did. And you've encouraged me to get more of it out. Hopefully that's a good thing. Like the first episode, which focused on the hits of a certain date, this episode is more of a discussion about songs and artists who have something in common. My plan is to alternate between these kinds of episodes. We'll see how that goes. In this episode, we're going to explore two female singers who both had their most successful periods in the early 70s, and who both had three big hits that, thematically, could be seen as intentional trilogies. And we'll also explore a seventh song that was actually rejected by one of these ladies, but instead was recorded by another woman. And this song could be considered a kind of culmination to the combined short story anthology that these songs form. singer I'm going to talk about is Helen Reddy. Born in Melbourne, Australia in 1941, Helen Reddy's parents were performers on the Australian vaudeville circuit. By the age of four, she was dancing with them on stage. She became tired of the pressure her parents placed on her, and at age 12, she left the road and her parents to live with her father's sister. She gave up performing, and at 20, she continued her rebellion by marrying an older man who was also a friend of her parents. She gave birth to a daughter named Tracy, but the couple separated not long afterward. Now a single mother, Reddy returned to performing. Unable to resume dancing due to having a kidney removed at age 17, she concentrated on singing. In 1966, she won a TV talent contest where the prize was supposed to be the chance to record a single for a major label in New York City. However, when she arrived there, she was told her prize was just an audition and after seeing her TV performance, the label executives considered that her, that her audition, and they decided not to record her. Although she had very little money, she decided not to return home. And so she and her three-year-old Tracy remained in America so Helen could pursue her career there. She picked up singing gigs in the New York area and also made some trips to Canada where as a citizen of a Commonwealth country, she did not need a work permit. In 1968, she met a man named Jeff Wald at a rent party, and she soon married for a second time. The couple eventually moved to Los Angeles, where Wald became a music manager for other artists. After a while, Helen decided to make it clear that she would like her husband to help her get her own career going. After that, he threw himself wholeheartedly into the task, eventually landing Helen Reddy a deal for one single with Capitol Records. The A-side of the single flopped, 
But when a few DJs in Canada flipped the record over and began to play her version of the Jesus Christ Superstar number, I Don't Know How to Love Him, the song gained traction, eventually hitting number 10 in Canada and number 13 in the United States in June of 1971. Reddy was then given a long-term contract. The next year, she released a song that she had co-written because she was unable to find a song that she felt truly reflected the strength and beauty of her gender. That song, I Am Woman, became a feminist anthem, and by the end of the year, it topped both North American charts. Helen Reddy was now a superstar. Her next single, Peaceful, would only reach number 12, but the single after that is where I'm going to begin. This was the first song in what I call... Helen Reddy's Crazy Lady Trilogy. The song is Delta Dawn. Delta Dawn was written in 1971 by country songwriters Larry Collins and Alex Harvey. It was first recorded by Harvey himself, and over the next year it was also recorded by several country artists, including Loretta Lynn, Waylon Jennings, and a 13-year-old newcomer named Tanya Tucker, whose rendition became her first top 10 country hit. In 1973, two pop singers, unbeknownst to each other, were getting ready to put out their versions as singles. As it turned out, Reddy's version came out first, causing the other singer's label to flip her record over and make Delta Dawn the B-side to a cover of a 40s big band classic. That worked out well, as Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy would become the first top ten hit for Bette Midler. Delta Dawn tells the story of the title character, a woman who, though in her 40s, still lives with her father. When she was younger and more attractive, a suitor proposed to her and promised to take her away to live a life of luxury with him. But on the day they were to leave together, he didn't show, and he, and he hasn't been heard from since, leaving poor Delta in a state of depression that consumes her. As the lyrics go, Delta Dawn. What's that flower you have on? Could it be a faded rose from days gone by? And did I hear you say he was meeting you here today to take you to his mansion in the sky? She's 41, and her daddy still calls her baby. All the folks around Brownsville say she's crazy, because she walks downtown with a suitcase in her hand, looking for a mysterious dark-haired man. Obviously, this is a bit of stereotyping about the fragility of the jilted woman. Delta is cut from the same cloth as characters such as Miss Havisham from Dickens' Great Expectations, and she certainly would fit right into one of Tennessee Williams' plays. The tragedy goes beyond the romantic rejection, to the fact that societal norms meant that a woman like Delta would not have been encouraged to see other options in life beyond marriage, and therefore, that made a humiliation such as the ones she suffered seemed like nothing less than the end of the world. But I didn't get all that when I was a three-year-old boy running around singing this. Why this of all songs? I have no idea. But according to my parents, I could belt it out pretty well. Delta Dawn became Helen's second number one in the U.S. and Canada. It was so successful that her label decided to release as her next single a song with a very similar lyrical theme. It's the second song of the Helen Reddy Crazy Lady trilogy, Leave Me Alone, Ruby Red Dress. This song is also about a woman driven mad by an encounter with a man, and who just like Delta Dawn, wanders the streets of her town. What happened? 
Well, let's let Helen tell it. Some folks say some farm boy up from Tennessee taught it all to Ruby, then just let her be. Her daddy tried to hide it, tried to keep things cool. But something happened to Ruby. She broke down to a fool who just said now, Leave me alone. Won't you leave me alone? Please leave me alone now. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. Please leave me alone. Yes, leave me. At best, it sounds like the seduction of a naive girl. At worst, it was sexual assault. Either way, it caused Ruby's permanent mental breakdown. Again, there's this idea of inevitable feminine fragility at romantic and or sexual betrayal, which is kind of ironic given that Reddy became known for providing an anthem for strong, independent women. And Helen Reddy apparently wasn't a big fan of this song, especially how many times she had to sing the phrase, Leave Me Alone. Reportedly, that number is 43. And I would agree that it's a redundant retread of a better song, although that did not stop it from reaching the top five in the States and Canada. Helen's next two singles, Keep On Singing and You and Me Against the World, both reached the top 15 on both sides of the border. But then she would put out a song about another girl seen as mentally unstable, but her story turns out much differently from those of Delta Dawn and Ruby Redress. This is the third song in the Crazy Lady trilogy, Angie Baby. Angie is a girl of indeterminate age whose parents pulled her out of school because she didn't play well with others, presumably to an extreme degree. So now she spends her, her days alone in her room, listening to the radio and cre creating romantic fantasies based on the song she hears. Little does she know that a boy next door has been watching her through her window, and one day, when her parents are at home, he invites himself over with the intent of seducing Angie. However, what happens next wasn't at all what he expected. Let's let the lyrics fill in the story. Stopping at her house is a neighbor boy with evil on his mind, because he's been peeking in Angie's room at night through the window blind. I see your folks have gone away. Would you dance with me today? I'll show you how to have a good time, Angie, baby. When he walks in the room, he feels confused, like he's walked into a play. And the music so and the music is so loud, it spins him around till his soul has lost its way. And as she turns the volume down, he's getting smaller with the sound. It seems to pull him off the ground. Toward the radio, he's bound never to be found. So what happened? According to the songwriter Alan O'Day, Angie actually had magic powers and actually shrunk the boy with her mind and locked him in the radio, and she has the ability to summon him at will to do her bidding, whatever that may be. So Angie becomes a kind of cross between Carrie, Matilda, and Aladdin. Obviously, you're free to draw your own conclusions. But the song makes it clear that the boy has disappeared and is presumed dead, and that Angie, accurately or not, believes that she has the boy as her secret lover. And near the end, Helen gives a wonderfully chilling summation of Angie's situation. It's so nice to be insane. No one asks you to explain. I love that line. 
couldn't you just hear it in the voice of Norman Bates, or maybe Jack Nicholson in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, or maybe even Heath Ledger's Joker? Sorry, boys. It's Angie's and Angie's alone. Angie Baby concluded the Crazy Lady trilogy in style. It became her third and final American number one, hit number three in Canada, and also gave her a breakthrough in Britain by reaching number five there. Helen's career went on a downward trajectory after this. She had six more top 40 hits between 1975 and 1978, but only one of them made the top 10. A song whose title could be interpreted as her finally speaking out against the mistreatment of Delta, Ruby, and Angie. The song was 1975's Ain't No Way to Treat a Lady. Helen Reddy continued to record and tour for two decades after her heyday, but by all accounts, she is perfectly content with what she accomplished in her career, and she has been largely retired from show business since the early 2000s. She is still well-remembered in North America and her native Australia. In fact, an Australian production company has produced a, bio a biographical movie of her life. The film, called, naturally, I Am Woman, had its world premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival this past September. We'll be back with a look at another singer who had three big hits about women with problems after this break. Hello, this is podcaster Roger Scroop with another commercial for Linda's Lessons. You know, my wife, Linda Quigg, is a little uncomfortable about me doing commercials for her. She has this idea that she's somehow unworthy of being promoted this way. Well, I can assure you that she is more than worthy of a commercial. And if you live in and around St. Catharines, Ontario, and you are in the market for singing, piano, or musical theory lessons, she is infinitely worthy of your business. If there is music in you, she will bring it out in a friendly, enjoyable, and thoroughly professional manner. So look her up on Facebook by searching for Linda's Lessons, that's Linda with a Y, and check out her singing videos on the Facebook page. The lady can sing. And she does weddings, just saying. Next we're going to have a look at the singer simply known as Cher. Born in Southern California in 1946, Sherilyn Sarkeesian's parents divorced before she was a year old. Her mother would marry and divorce four more times by the time Cher was 18, creating a tumultuous home life. She left home at 16, moved to Los Angeles, and worked as a go-go dancer in Sunset Strip nightclubs before meeting Salvatore Sonny Bono, an employee of legendary producer Phil Spector, who was over a, a decade older than her. Sonny introduced Cher to Spectre, who used her as a backup singer on several records. Meanwhile, the pair fell in love and married, and in 1964 they began performing and recording as a duo called Caesar and Cleo. Their singles together bombed, but when Cher released a solo cover of Bob Dylan's All I Really Want to Do, it became her first hit, peaking at number 15. The duo then put out a single under their real names. A song written and produced by Bono. I Got You Babe was released in July of 1965, and it would go on to be a triple crown winning number one smash. Over the next two years, between duets with Sonny and solo singles, Cher would have a whopping 11 top 40 hits, 
the biggest being the 1966 number two, Bang Bang, My Baby Shot Me Down. But by the end of 1967, the emergence of hippie culture had made the couple seem square to younger audiences, and they decided to adjust their career accordingly. They tried to get into movies, but after two flops, they decided to try an adult-oriented nightclub act built, built on the couple's comedic between-song banter. Audiences loved it, and it caught the attention of CBS Television, who gave the couple their own variety show, The Sonny and Cher Comedy Hour, in the summer of 1971. It was an immediate hit, drawing nearly 30 million viewers per week. Not only did it make them the hottest stars on TV, it had the additional effect of not only helping them return to the charts as a duo, but also launching what would be the most successful period of Cher's solo musical career. And that period would begin in September of 1971, with the release of the first song in what I call Cher's Gallery of Gals in Trouble. The song is Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves. The song is narrated by a woman who was born into a family that operates a traveling medicine show. To support the family, her mother performs as a dancer, possibly of the exotic variety, while her father preaches and sells some sort of liquid concoction of dubious health value. They would be greeted in every new town with derision and scorn, but in the evenings, the citizenry, particularly the men, would eagerly do business with them. One day, the family picked up a drifter in Alabama and let him travel with them to Tennessee, but something happened during the time the young man was with them that changed the narrator's life forever. Let's allow Cher to tell the tale. Picked up a boy just south of Mobile, Gave him a ride, filled him with a hot meal. I was 16, he was 21. Rode with us to Memphis. Papa would have shot him if he knew what he'd done. I never had schooling, but he taught me well with his smooth southern style. Three months later, later, I'm a gal in trouble, and I haven't seen him for a while. So once again, we have a teenage girl seduced by an older man. And this time, she is left pregnant. In the last verse, she sings about her own daughter's birth in that same wagon, and how she was now the one dancing for money. There's a lot of heavy subject matter here. Sexism, prejudice, hints of prostitution. But wrapped up in a relatable story and a catchy pop song, Cher got this into the ears of millions. And on a much lighter note, this is a song that reveals a talent I didn't know I had. One time a few years ago, this song came on the radio, and for some reason I decided to try singing it in what I thought was my share impression. What came out was this. Gypsies, tramps, and thieves! Yes, I discovered that I couldn't sound anything like Cher, but I could do a sort of okay Don Knotts. I can kind of badly imitate Barney Fife. Andy, we got a problem with these gypsies, tramps, and thieves. We got to nip it in the butt. Yes, it's awful. But it's better than my share. Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves became Cher's first solo number one in November of 1971. It also topped the Canadian charts and hit number four in Britain. Between then and the end of 1972, combining solo hits and duets with Sonny, she had five more top 40s including three top tens. 
Her first two singles of 1973 flopped, but in July she put out the second piece in the Gallery of Gals in Trouble, Half-Breed. This song is about a girl born to a white father and a full-blooded Cherokee mother, and the prejudice that the girl faces from both communities that leaves her feeling like she doesn't belong anywhere. Cher was likely inspired to record it due to her mother being part Cherokee herself. She describes her childhood and ensuing adulthood like this. We never settled, went from town to town. When you're not welcome, you don't hang around. The other children always laughed at me. Give her a feather. She's a Cherokee. Half-breed. That's all I ever heard. Half-breed. How I learned to hate the word. Half-breed. She's no good, they warned. Both sides were against me since the day I was born. We weren't accepted, and I felt ashamed. Nineteen, I left them. Tell me, who's to blame? My life since then has been from man to man, but I can't run away from who I am. Ostracizing by peers. The inability to have a stable home and education. The inability to have sustained adult relationships. Constantly feeling defined solely by the ethnicity of her parents. These are the punishments the character suffers through no fault of her own. Unlike other songs we've covered which asks the listener for pity, the tone of half-breed is unadulterated anger, and it fit the times, as women of all backgrounds were speaking out and standing up against allowing society to define who they could be. In September, as this song was climbing the charts, Billie Jean King defeated Bobby Riggs in the famous Battle of the Sexes tennis match, offering an example of how women could overturn stereotypes. This is a case of an artist putting out the right song at the right time. Half-Breed became Cher's second number one in October, and again, it was a Canadian number one as well. For some reason, it wasn't released as a single in the UK. For her next single, released in early 1974, Cher told another story of an angry woman. But this one is ang was angry for a more universal reason, and she decided to do something about it. The song was the last exhibit in her gallery of gals in trouble, Dark Lady. The story takes place in New Orleans. A woman visits a mysterious fortune teller who uses ordinary playing cards to channel her alleged powers of perception. The fortune teller deals her cards, first a queen, then a three, then a blue-eyed jack. Apparently, the narrator recognizes this as an ominous thing and that is confirmed when the fortune teller tells her that her man is cheating on her with someone she knows. Then the dark lady tells Cher to leave her room and never return. Cher storms out, seething and heartbroken, and returns home to cry in her bed. But then she has a revelation. Here's what happens. So I ran home and crawled in my bed. I couldn't sleep because of all the things she said. Then I remembered her strange perfume, and how I smelled it once in my own room. So I sneaked back and caught her with my man, laughing and kissing, till they saw the gun in my hand. The next thing I knew, they were dead on the floor. Dark Lady would never turn a card up anymore. In case you missed it, Cher has determined that she once smelled the Dark Lady's perfume on her man.
and therefore has solved the riddle of his, of his infidelity. So she returns to the fortune teller's house, finds them together, and immediately shoots the pair to death. Like Angie Baby, Cher's last installment sees our heroine solving her own problem, but this one seems much less likely to end happily for her. Dark Lady would be Cher's third American number one. It got to number two in Canada, but only number 36 in Britain. Cher's next single, Train of Thought, only made it to number 27, and it was indicative of a downturn in both her personal and professional life. After a long period of growing tension, Sonny and Cher announced that they were getting a divorce in early 1974. They decided to separate professionally as well, ending their variety show. For the next few years, Cher didn't have any hits, and subsequent attempts at a variety series without and then back with Sonny didn't last. She picked up a hit in 1979 with the disco track Take Me Home, but after she failed to follow it up, she spent a good deal of the 80s taking another shot at acting, putting in critically acclaimed turns in Silkwood, Mask, and The Witches of Eastwick before winning a Best Actress Oscar for her performance in Moonstruck. In 1987, Cher returned to music, going on another successful run with nine top 40s in four years, the biggest being the 1989 number three hit, If I Could Turn Back Time. She ended the millennium by scoring her first number one in 25 years with 1999's Believe. Since then, she has embarked on multiple sold-out concert tours, including her current Here We Go Again tour, which on the night I'm recording this is stopping in Philadelphia. She also recently was the subject of a Broadway musical, The Share Show, and next year she will reportedly be releasing a memoir, which she hopes will be made into a film. We'll be back to talk about one more song that serves as a companion piece to these trilogies after this brief message. Hello, I'm Roger Stroop, host of the Old Man Yells at Music podcast. If you like listening to this, I've got good news. It's also a blog. I've been writing it for over nine years, looking back at hits from the past from the American, British, and Canadian pop music charts. Right now, I'm mainly covering British charts from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. So if you can't learn enough about Cliff Richard, status quo, and singing soccer players, this is the place for you. I also do a Canadian chart recap about once a month. So if you need a Trooper or Kim Mitchell fix, I'm your man. And I'm also in the middle of a project to determine the most unique, interesting, and or just plain weird U.S. Top 40 hit of the 1980s. And to top it all off, it's the place to be to get the links to, to the latest episode of this very podcast before anywhere else. So check it out at bobbyglovescasey.blogspot.com. Why is that the URL? You'll have to go there to find out. That's the Old Man Yells at Music blog at bobbyglovescasey.blogspot.com. So we've got one more song to cover. It's a song that's a story told from a woman's point of view, is about sex and murder, and features a woman dealing with a problem in her life in a much more clear-eyed fashion than either Angie Baby or the, or the narrator of Dark Lady does. 
but it, but it has enough thematically in common with both the Crazy Lady trilogy and the Gallery of Gals in Trouble that you can see it being sung by either Helen or Cher. In fact, Cher was offered the song, but at the time she was still married to and working with Sonny, and Sonny turned it down because he felt it would, it would offend Cher's fans in the southern United States. So in the end, it was released by the woman who sang it on the demo, who just happened to be the wife of the man who wrote the song, Bobby Russell. This woman had never had a hit song before, but she was a celebrity, but she wasn't known for her singing. She was famous for being a member of the cast of the popular television comedy variety series, The Carol Burnett Show. She is Vicki Lawrence, and her 1972 single was called The Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia. This song is told by a woman whose brother visits a bar in his hometown after being away for two weeks. There, he meets his friend Andy, who reports that while he was gone, his wife has been cheating with a local man named Seth Amos. And to rub salt into the wound, Andy decides that now is a good time to boast that he himself has enjoyed the brother's wife's favors. Understandably, the brother is enraged by this information, and later he decides to visit Andy's house, bringing a gun along with him, as you do. When he arrives there, he finds that Andy has been murdered. He flags down a passing police officer by firing a shot in the air, but the cop immediately jumps to the conclusion that the brother killed Andy himself and arrests him. When he goes on trial, both lawyers and the judge go through the motions as if no other conclusion could be reached, and the brother is quickly convicted and subsequently hanged. But in the last verse, the sister insists that her brother was innocent, and she can prove it. How? Let her explain. Well, they hung my brother before I could say the tracks he saw while he was on his way to Andy's house and back that night were mine. And his cheating wife, who had never left town, that's one body that'll never be found. See, little sister don't miss when she aims her gun. That's the night the lights went out in Georgia. That's the night that they hung an innocent man. Well, don't trust your soul to no backwoods southern lawyer, because the judge in the town has got bloodstains on his hands. So there we go. Vicky's no victim. She saw her brother being done wrong by his wife and his best friend, and she took care of it. You have to wonder, though, how hard could she have tried to free her brother? And what happened to Seth Amos? He's referred to as a boy. Does that mean he's seen as a youth who didn't know any better, seduced by a wicked temptress? Are we supposed to think that Andy made that part up? Was there a possible sequel where the sister cleans up that loose end? Anyway, this song is like a three-minute soap opera. And what soap doesn't have a plot hole or two? The Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia went to number one in the U.S. and Canada in early 1973. In 1981, a film called The Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia starring Christy McNichol and Dennis Quaid, was released. However, the movie had a completely different plot, and the version of the song used in it, sung by Tanya Tucker, had new lyrics. A more faithful cover by Reba McIntyre was a number 12 country hit in 1991, and it was accompanied by a video that dramatized the story in greater detail. As for Vicki Lawrence, 
This was the beginning and the end of her pop stardom in North America, although her next single, He Did With Me, went to number one in Australia. The decline of her musical career coincided with her 1974 divorce from Bobby Russell, although there's no reason to think that the two are related. Lawrence remained on The Carol Burnett Show until it ended in 1978. Then in 1983, she began began a seven-year run playing one of her Burnett Show characters, Thelma Mama Harper, on the sitcom Mama's Family. After that, she hosted talk shows, made guest appearances on TV series such as Roseanne, Hannah Montana, and RuPaul's Drag Race, and has toured in a stage show called Vicki Lawrence and Mama, a two-woman show. So this ends our look at this phenomenon of sad stories about women in early 70s pop. These songs were key to the success of two of the era's biggest stars, and they brought sensationalism, drama, and often taboo subject matter to AM radio listeners. And they were extremely lucrative, as evidenced by the fact that all but one of the songs discussed here went to number one in America. Thanks for listening to the difficult second episode. If you enjoyed it, please leave me some positive feedback on my Twitter feed or my Facebook page, both of which can be found at Mr. B. Glovehead. Or you can comment on the post accompanying the link to this episode on the blog, which you'll find at bobbyglovescasey.blogspot.com. That's also where you will find the link to this episode's YouTube playlist. Thanks to ForgottenHits60s.blogspot.com for the Alan O'Day story. All lyrics are the property of the copyright holders and are quoted here for discussion purposes only. No infringement is intended. Next week, I'll be doing another look at the charts. This time, we're going back to 1987. The village people may not have been ready for the 80s, but I am. Until then, this is Roger Stroop saying, This is a party. This is a disco. This is fooling around. There's plenty of time for dancing and lovey-dovey. So make time for it. Now. Now.